Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. This is the Tools for Resilience series, wellness and mental health chats focused on helping you grow and feel good about who you are. We'll be exploring ideas and practical tools designed to help you get comfortable with the vulnerability inherent in being human and the benefits of embracing it. And we'll reveal ways that working with this vulnerability builds resilience so that you can deepen your resources, adapt more, bounce back better and go on to thrive. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for the extra bonus content. In this episode, we're looking at the brain, specifically the primitive brain and what happens when we're in survival mode. We'll be looking at how moving through areas of vulnerability, such as learning to trust and being open, can be transformative. And we'll also talk you through some of the tools that you can use to get out of fight, flight or freeze mode and start being a lot more present in your life. My guest for this episode is Jenna Holloway. Jenna is an award-winning solutions-focused hypnotherapist and entrepreneur. She specialises in helping people who are in survival mode. And given that she was a teacher for 12 years, it's safe to say that she has plenty of real-world experience of that. Her work is all about giving people the tools to create emotional freedom through her Change Your Life programme, as well as one-on-one hypnotherapy. If you struggle with overthinking, procrastination or worst-case scenario thinking, and you're looking for practical ways to find more emotional freedom, then this episode is for you. So Jenna, welcome. Thank you. Okay, let's talk about the power of the subconscious and the inner world. Um, There are lots of kind of slightly shocking statistics around this. And when I say shocking, um, I mean because they sort of reveal stuff that I didn't realize was true until I came across them. Um, So, for example, the subconscious rules, the subconscious mind rules 95% of thoughts. Um, And I also found one study in America that is quoted quite a lot on the Internet Um, that we have 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day. And of those 80% are negative and 95% are repetitive. And that, that seems a bit mental to me, Mm. Uh, but obviously it's true. Um, So the state of the inner world and our thoughts, it's really creating our reality. And most of the time we really don't realize how much control we have over that. And given that we're repeating it every day, it seems that we should have more control. So you're obviously an expert in this. Um, what do you think people are missing out on in terms of information about how their brain really works? Oh, so much. The, the, yeah, it's, it, it, it really is truly a passion of mine because we know how to lead a physically healthy life, but so much of our physical problems and physical health problems are down to what's going on in the brain. And, and it's such an under... Um, underappreciated people just don't know this stuff so you know I'm really happy and thank you so much for having me on I just really want to share the information I've got and and that is number one we've got a caveman brain that means that we are living modern day life with a brain that was designed for a caveman type existence and it's so um, not aligned with the things that we face nowadays and this means then that we we are only designed for survival that is all our brain cares about it doesn't care about how happy you are or how fulfilled you feel or how confident you are. None of that matters. All that your brain cares about is surviving. And when you add to that the knowledge that your brain cannot tell the difference between real and imagination, you can easily find yourself in fight or flight or survival mode just all day, every day, especially if you are an overthinker or you struggle with anxiety or just 
being negative which isn't your fault by the way if if you feel that you're quite negative that again is is a is a um survival technique of the brain because it's designed for survival so of course it's going to be thinking and looking out for the negative things over the positive because spotting the roses whilst you're out hunting in a caveman type context is not going to keep you alive is it so all of this joined together means that we can be overly negative create too much stress in our bodies which then leads us to live perpetually in flight or flight mode or, or survival mode which can then create all sorts of physical health problems why haven't i mean this isn't this wasn't on my list of questions but like listen to you i'm thinking why haven't our brains updated um because it doesn't because because our brains are designed to keep us alive but this is just my take on it then it's all okay, isn't it? Because we're still alive. So we don't need to have a brain update. The brain doesn't care about our happiness levels. Obviously, intellectually, as human and emotional beings, we want to be happy. And we can be. If we understand how the brain works, then we can. There's things that we can do to make sure that we get the best out of our mental health and and live in the moment and be happy and confident and all of the rest of it. But the key is understanding and knowing how your brain works so that you don't fall into the traps of living day in day out in survival mode and the issue is a lot of people don't even realize that they're in survival mode because they've just normalized an amount of like a level of stress that is not good for the system mm-hmm. and um yeah so many people that i speak to never ever switch off they never switch their brains off and that's a very good sign that you're going to be stuck in survival mode can you tell me a bit about survival mode then how would you define it Survival mode, um, first of all, in terms of what's happening in the body, it is when your body goes into fight or flight. And that means that it is releasing an uncapped amount of adrenaline and stress hormones. Because if we look at it through the lens of caveman days, it's literally trying to keep you alive in that moment. And it doesn't care about the effect on the body in half an hour's time or tomorrow or the next day which means that you will be probably physically and mentally, emotionally drained because all of that adrenaline in your system is exhausting. Um, But right here, right now, that's what it's trying to do, keep you alive. Um, And there's all sorts of types of signs and symptoms which which can give you an idea whether you're in survival mode or not. And that is things like um, overthinking, also not being able to switch off or relax, not being able to be present and in the moment if you're constantly worrying about something happening in the future or constantly overanalyzing something that you've said or not done in, in the past, um, all sorts of things, Procra- being a procrastinator, a perfectionist, um, all sorts of different things can, can mean that you're in survival mode. Also, if you are um, waking up in the night or taking far too long to get to sleep, it's a sign that uh, your stress levels are too high. I talk about this thing called the stress bucket. It's a metaphorical stress bucket in the mind. Um, and every every negative thought that you have um, goes in the stress bucket throughout the day and it fills up. And whilst you're asleep, the brain does this amazing thing where it processes the stress. It processes everything from the day, the positive and the negative. But it processes the stress so that you wait, you can wake up the next day feeling better about things and feeling resilient and ready to go. Um, And that's why things always seem better the next day. But if your stress bucket levels are too full, then your brain, because your brain doesn't work on this all night whilst you're asleep. It's only during the REM sleep cycle whilst you're you're dreaming. Um, If there's too much in your stress bucket, your brain is going to 
have to try too hard to process that in the short amount of time that it's got to do so and it will wake you up and you'll know that it's your brain waking you up because it's it's not that you just need to get up and go to the loo and then fall back asleep it's like ding your brain is on and your and those thoughts are racing um and you start thinking about the next day and basically you're awake and it's hard to get back to sleep um so yeah lots of different signs of, of being in survival mode but any negative emotion, basically, if, if you're if you struggle to live in the present moment and you feel overly negative, either low mood or anxious or irritable, all signs of being in fight or flight more often than you should be. So I feel like with the kind of stuff you described there, a lot of people might attribute it to just part of their personality or who they are. Yeah. Um, is that something you come across a lot? Yeah, and it's actually it's really fascinating because how the brain works is that um, we all of our lived experiences, whether it's something that we've personally lived through or whether it's something that we've heard or witnessed throughout our whole lives is stored in the subconscious mind. And whilst we're a child, whilst, you know, um, up to the age of seven and even partially further along than that, our brains aren't fully developed until we reach age 21, between 21 and 23. Um, so in that time, we are seeing things and hearing things and experiencing things which shape our beliefs and we have an immature brain. So we don't understand the full context of a situation. So we can make assumptions and beliefs about the world, but more often, more importantly, about ourselves, which then shape our actions for the rest of our lives. Um, and an example for this, like from my background in teaching, for example, it's so, so common for children to not want to put their hand up in class. And you, as much as you encourage them and, and say, oh, I'm not going to say something, you know, I'm not going to embarrass you if, you if you get the answer wrong or whatever. It doesn't matter because at some point in a child's life, just, you know, any, any, any old child, for example, this is a very common scenario, a child would have put their hand up, got the answer wrong. The teacher wouldn't have shamed them. Nobody would have laughed at them. But in their own mind, they would have felt embarrassed and led them possibly to the belief that, oh, I'm, I'm stupid or I shouldn't put my hand up unless I definitely know I'm going to get the answer right. Or I'm just not going to bother trying because it's embarrassing if I get it wrong. Fear of failure. That's a belief that is formed in that very small minor situation but that belief is then massive because as an adult fear of failure can hold you back in so many ways mm. you know dating relationships career everything and yeah it's the fact that our beliefs are formed when we we're a child and there seems to be like there is a, an acknowledged negativity bias right mm, absolutely yeah because our brains why, are designed why are our brains so against us <laughs> because they are designed to keep us alive. As a species, we had to survive. Um, and modern day life is you know, a lot safer and a lot more predictable than it was back then. But unfortunately, we do have the same brains. But like I said, it's not all doom and gloom because when you learn about how the brain, you learn how it works, you can do things to live differently and you can change, you can actually rewire your brain through consistent positive habits. So. Um, I share a lot about this either you know in my Instagram or my own podcast if you can actually completely change your life just by understanding the brain and practicing the right way to do things so that you that you only have fight or flight mode reserved for an actual proper emergency. So what's the alternative to fight and flight mode? So I call it the intellectual mind um, and that is where you 
have mental clarity. You're able to live calmly and in the moment. It's basically when your system is in rest or digest, it's not in fight or flight. And so it feels good. You're able to enjoy the present moment now. You're able to think clearly. Um, so for example, you can perform better in if you do public speaking or job interview, or you run your own business and you need to show up online. Um, you can just relax and trust yourself to just be the best version of yourself. Basically, I always talk about the intellectual mind is where you are when you're the best version of yourself and you're, you're confident and you're happy and you're calm and relaxed and resilient and all of the good things that we want to feel, they only come from being in the intellectual mind. So what are the common problems that people come to you with? Uh, oh, it's a very good question. Um, so my my clients are very very rare, varied in terms of the makeup of who they are. Like in terms of a niche, it's not like a certain type of career or anything like that. I see men, women, all sorts of different backgrounds. What unites them all is the fact that they come to me in survival mode, and they will, you know, if they listen to this podcast, they will resonate with all of the survival mode symptoms and more, um, and just basically can never relax or constantly feel negative about themselves or feel like a failure or, or any any really like limiting beliefs they're prevalent in their life and they are holding they're not able to access their intellectual mind basically um and that that leads a lot of things that they have in common are things like low self-worth people pleasing um fear of failure they're not getting the best out of their life because they're either scared to change direction or scared of what what everyone thinks, uh, just so many different things that are limiting them because they're not able to be the best version of themselves. They don't, they're not happy with life the way it is because they're in survival mode and, and resulting all of the different things that that involves just means that they're not very happy. And where would you start with someone who came to you? I don't, obviously don't want to give away all your secrets, but what's the one thing that you would start with someone who came to you in that state? Yeah, so um, my my actual job is a hypnotherapist. I'm solution-focused hypnotherapist. But as you mentioned earlier, my background is in teaching. And I don't, I, I'm, it's really important to me that I don't just do hypnotherapy because if I worked with a client and I just did hypnotherapy with them, I'd, I'd help them solve their problems. But they'd be back, you know, they'd be back in however long, a year, three years' time, because they will have recreated the problem themselves again. So what's really, really important to me is that I teach how the brain works. It's, it's important. Like if you completely understand what's going on in your brain, then you can reshape your habits. And that's why my program is called Change Your Life, because I'm helping the clients change their conscious habits, the way that they live, the way that they think, the things that they do, so that they are more resilient and more positive and get their own stress levels down. And then the hypnotherapy complements that because it, it changes and gets rid of the negative and limiting beliefs on a subconscious level because all of our all of our beliefs and our thoughts and and our emotions they, and our feelings they come from the subconscious mind and so that is really really important that it needs to be a positive place because your subconscious mind it really is your zone of genius it's it's the most incredible thing but it will only work for you if if it's a, a good place, basically, if it's full of negative beliefs about yourself and about the world, then that's what it's going to look for in the world. Because your subconscious mind is always listening to your thoughts and the things that you say. 
And even though it's amazing and it's and it's so powerful, it won't listen to your thoughts and turn around and say, hang on a minute, that's a bit harsh or that's not true. You're better than that. It will just listen to the thoughts that you feed it and look for evidence in the outside world. So if you change the subconscious beliefs, that's when you can really change your reality. Because, because like you said, the fact that you gave at the beginning, the subconscious mind is taking in millions of bits of information every second. And you only notice a small amount of things consciously and your subconscious mind decides what sends what what gets sent to your consciousness. So if the subconscious is a more positive place, basically, let's imagine it like a house and you completely decluttered it of all the stuff that you don't want. And it's just left with positive, joyful things. Then imagine the different types of thoughts that you're going to have consciously, because suddenly you're seeing the world completely differently. It really is life changing when you sort out the subconscious mind and get rid of the stuff that's holding you back and start to believe in yourself and everything, you know, believing in yourself is key. Most of my clients have low self-worth and low self-belief. Change that and everything changes. I want to ask you in a minute why we find that so hard. Um, But also like this idea that you see what you want to see in life is something that I've come across. um, You know, the reticular activating system. That's it. That's exactly it. Yeah, because I did a... I, I bought a car a couple of years ago and I wanted a very specific type of light blue specific model car and I saw it everywhere and I'd never seen one before I was convinced I'd never seen one before and then I came across this information about the reticular activating system um, which I'll let you explain in a minute because you're better placed to and I just saw them everywhere and it was just such a great example of the fact yeah. like they were there before but I wasn't looking for blue cars yeah yeah exactly that um yeah so I I explain it as a filter so as I said the subconscious mind is taking in everything around you and the reason for that again is to keep you alive because if you were consciously aware of every single thing going on all the time you wouldn't be able to spot the danger lurking on the horizon so that's why there's this subconscious filter so that you own you basically so you're not overwhelmed so that you can survive you can spot the danger um so yeah it now this the way i explain it is you've got this filter in your mind and the things that are relevant to you are on that filter and therefore those are the things that you notice in the world so if the things on that filter i.e the makeup of your subconscious mind is negative I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, those kind of beliefs, then you're never going to um, see the opportunities that match your actual potential because they're your, your subconscious mind will, will not send them to your conscious brain because they are irrelevant. Whereas if you improve your self-worth and improve your self-belief, suddenly you'll start to spot those opportunities and think, hang on a minute, I can go for that. And in the context of like dating and relationship, this is huge too, because there's there's this cliche thing isn't it that that people say oh you'll you'll never find love until you love yourself but it's absolutely true because if you don't love yourself and you have a low self-esteem or low sense of self-worth then you don't believe that you are worthy of a loving relationship or worthy of meeting somebody that's going to really care for you and love you for who you are so therefore that belief is not on the filter so you're never going to spot the person in the room you're more off that you know the person in the room that that would be perfect for you you're more likely going to be so self-conscious of how you look and and uncomfortable of your place in the world and that person who is actually trying to give you the eye you're you will interpret that as oh my goodness what have I got in my teeth or something self-conscious like that so your understanding of the world is completely different when your inner your inner beliefs and your subconscious feelings about yourself and your place in the world change 
So it really is a case of you create your own reality. So, I mean, this ties into manifestation and you know, yeah. there's so much around it. And, and I have, I'm quite new to it, I guess. Like I think um, with my background, I was always quite cynical about manifestation, but I've begun to discover there's actually a bit more of a scientific reason for it. And it's all that we've talked about so far. And it's exactly what you're saying. Um, yeah. You do create your own reality. So why do you think we find it so difficult to believe in ourselves? Is it literally just a case of not having the right information in there? Yeah, it is, unfortunately, because when we're a child, that's when our beliefs are formed. Um, there's no, there is no perfect childhood, you know, even with the most loving family and the most positive experiences, you can still form beliefs that are unhelpful to you like the one I shared earlier you know you put your hand up in class as a child you got the answer wrong nothing bad happened nobody laughed at you the teacher didn't shame you but you still created the belief that ah oh, I'm not good enough because I didn't get the answer right so yeah unfortunately it's just the way it is but things are changing if we're willing to learn about the brain and we're willing to do the self-development then you can completely change your own life just just by a, a willingness to do so. But the, but the the law of attraction and the manifestation thing is, is so powerful because I got into it years ago. I can't remember if I've shared yet. Um, I had quite a difficult uh, journey of infertility um, before I left teaching. And it's, it's law of attraction and the manifestation is the thing that basically turned things around for me. I was in such a dark place. Um, and the reticular activating system was a real killer in that 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 context of my life because I wanted children desperately and all I could see was child related adverts on the TV and, and everything, you know, staring in your face and any listeners that are struggling or have struggled with infertility will completely resonate with that it's just in your face everywhere. And so I was really struggling um, had multiple rounds of IVF and you know, was really, you had miscarriages and all really dark times. But what turned a corner for me is, was looking back, I managed to get out of survival mode. I managed to bring more positivity into my life, focus on being happy, regardless of what I wanted and just focused on, I got into manifestation basically. And I had things like vision boards and would do visualizations and all of this thing, all of this stuff that manifestation teaches. And I got twins and it was amazing. And then I went back into um, teaching after maternity leave, realized it wasn't right for me and left and um, retrained as a hypnotherapist. And on my training, when I learned about the brain, I learned about the reticular activating system, basically my jaw hit the floor because I suddenly realized realize like that's the science behind what I believed in and yeah it's just incredible now being absolutely able to um teach what's going on it's there's still skeptical people out there but but clients that I work with I don't I don't touch on manifestation until right at the end of the program if I think that they're sort of gonna buy it but otherwise I just teach a reticular activating system and by that point they've got the self-belief and they've got the higher self-worth so suddenly you see their eyes like lighting up like what is possible for me and they they start to dream bigger and yeah it's just incredible what you can achieve and I don't know if you've um there's quite a common quote whether you think you can or you can't you're right and it's all down to the beliefs and the way the subconscious mind works well thank you for sharing that that must have been a very difficult time mm, yeah it was yeah but it's maybe who I am. I I would not be the therapist I am today had I not gone through 
the dark times and 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 all the rest of it so yeah I, I don't I wouldn't change it for the world not even it wouldn't make me the therapist I am it wouldn't I wouldn't be the person I am now if I'd not been through such hard times I'm a completely different person and it's shaped me so yeah just sort of to touch back on manifestation like I, the cynicism around it is strong and especially I think it's sort of you know women in hemp robes wafting around saying positive things and this idea that manifestation is just about saying a positive affirmation you know and and it makes me a little bit angry sometimes because I think it isn't just about that is it it's about a belief it's about something much deeper and when you bring on all the sort of you don't need science and data to prove things there are things that exist outside that that still work I think it's important course, to make yeah. point. but this is a lot more practical than people realize isn't it Mm, yeah definitely and the thing about affirmations they're they're uh, they're not as good as people realize either you can say affirmations but if they if they are completely misaligned with the beliefs that you hold on a subconscious level they're never ever going to work what you need to work on is your self-belief and your self-worth change that and then you can change your reality but just saying an affirmation in the morning is not going to do anything for you unless it's aligned with how you're feeling on a subconscious level I found them quite useful for like giving me alternative language instead of like the critical cynical language that I had a lot of because I used to yeah I used to be a lawyer I think I told you that and I, and I was very hard on myself very perfectionist overachiever um and in a way when I started doing affirmations it just gave me an alternative language even though I didn't really believe them at the time it is a, it is a good way to bring in more positive self-talk and yeah. that is massive because the subconscious mind is listening to everything that you are saying and everything that you are thinking so if you feed it negativity then it's no wonder your self-worth is going to be low <laughs> so definitely they are good for that yeah Okay, so this podcast is called Tools for Resilience. It's all about resilience building this series. Um, I would define resilience as having the resources to adapt and bounce back, but also being able to thrive and go on to create the life that you want to have. Um, so if we could just start with stress and anxiety, how can we use the information that we have about our brains to deal differently with that? Yeah, good question. Okay, so number one is to try and get out of survival mode because well for the reasons that we've explained earlier so what you need to do is to produce more feel-good chemicals in the brain and i'm not gonna there's things like serotonin dopamine etc but people have told me that i explain things nicely and easily to understand so i just refer to the three p's and when you do the three p's you get the feel-good chemicals that you need in your brain to keep you out of fight or flight to lower your stress bucket levels and basically stay in your intellectual mind so those those three p's are we've got positive actions and that is basically doing anything that you enjoy put yourself first and do things for enjoyment's sake because when you do you lose track of time you you enjoy yourself and you get the feel-good chemicals that you need these aren't optimal self-care is not is not optional we need it for the feel-good chemicals in the brain otherwise we get stuck in survival mode number two um positive interactions so being sociable and this is a big reason why a lot of us suffered during the, the pandemic because we couldn't be sociable. We get feel good chemicals when we're sociable and the caveman was a social being. So we need those. Also, if you've got a pet, you get the same feel good chemicals from interacting with your pet too. So that's nice. And, and it explains why the elderly are less socially isolated if they've got a dog or a cat. Number three is a positive mindset. Because as I said earlier, negativity goes in the stress bucket. So the more positive you can shift your mindset, 
the less you're putting in your stress bucket and the more resilient you're going to be. Um, so actually positive thinking produces feel-good chemicals. When you are daydreaming or when you're thinking of a positive memory, your, your brain can't tell the difference between real and imagination. So you are re releasing those feel-good chemicals. And have you ever seen somebody walk down the street and they've not got their earphones in, they're not looking at their phone, but they've got a big smile on their face. They're clearly thinking about something good. And when our thoughts just automatically release chemical reactions so when you think of something good you're going to smile you're going to feel good and also you can you can hack that as well if you smile whether it's a genuine smile or not your brain is going to release feel-good chemicals um, and these are the feel-good chemicals that basically help maintain your stress levels and so if you think of your stress bucket earlier um, that I mentioned earlier, if you think of that as like a container and the stress as a liquid and you're pouring that stress in, if you drill holes in the side and those holes are represented by the three P's. So the more three P's you do, the more water or the more liquid is going to be able to come out of that stress bucket. And hence, you're going to be able to maintain and keep your stress bucket levels low. But the thing is, when work pressure or stress in life goes up, so does the need three p's and that is counterintuitive because when we suddenly get stressed at work we stop socializing or we stop doing the self-care or we get too busy to put ourselves first and actually do the things that we enjoy we're just one big to-do list and therefore we lack the field of chemicals that we need stress bucket levels get high we start you know struggling to sleep and we end up living our lives in fight or flight mode and, and suffering with physical problems because your stress bucket your stress levels are too high so everything is related I think that's a really good metaphor with the bucket and the holes and stuff. I think that works really well. Um, what about fear? Because like if we go up a level from stress and anxiety, then you've got fear. So mm. I think recently did a post on fear as an uncomfortable emotion. Yeah, that was a soundbite from my um, from a podcast episode I, I did. It was, it was a bonus one based on the fact that some of my clients are feeling highly anxious about um, the war in Ukraine. And I thought, well, if my clients are, then lots of people are. So I just did a bonus episode on it. Um, and yeah, fear, fear is is an uncomfortable emotion because our brain can't tell the difference between real and imagination. So anytime we start to think worst case scenarios, we're triggering fight or flight. Um, and the stress and the adrenaline, it just, it skyrockets. And, it, and we feel all sorts of physical feelings of that and it's not nice at all. So um, yeah, three Ps are more, more needed more than ever in that case. Um, and to also get a handle on your thoughts, know that worst case scenario type thoughts are not good because they are worst case scenario and studies show that most of the things that we worry about don't actually happen. And so, you can't change the first thought that comes into your head, but you can absolutely take a handle in, on it and control what happens next. You can either go down the rabbit hole of worst case scenario type thinking and, and really add stress to your stress bucket, or you could think, hang on a minute, I need to do something about this. Either um, get your journal out and start focusing on what you're grateful for, or get outside or do basically do some three Ps, put on some music, occupy yourself, and take your mind off whatever it is that you're worrying about, do something that's going to take your mind off it. And then you'll, you'll not only be producing feel good chemicals in your brain, which is going to counteract the stress that's gone in your stress bucket from the first thought, but you're also going to be saving your stress bucket from all the extra stress if you carry on the worst case, worst case scenario thinking. So in terms of mood boosters, 
Can you suggest any sort of quick things? Is this going to be the three P's or is there anything else you could suggest to people to do? Yeah, no, the, the three P's is exactly that. It's a mood booster because it's feel good chemicals in it. In it. Yeah, it boosts your mood. Um, I would just say cu- curate your own list, write down what you enjoy and completely remove any any um, idea of, oh, what people think of me. No, everybody is unique. You do what lights you up. Write down a list because we're, we're creatures of habit. We just get stuck in the same... Thing, don't we like start watching hours of Netflix or stuck on our phones actually what lights you up write a list put that list somewhere and make a plan to do something on that list over the next few days and then you're going to enrich your life aren't you you're going to you're going to you're going to live a more fulfilling enjoyable life and you're going to produce more feel-good chemicals and and just make things different for yourself so one of the things that tends to get in the way I find is, especially since I had COVID, brain fog, and especially mm-hmm. sort of being in isolation or, um, you know, all the lockdowns and stuff, like I've definitely noticed a difference in my mind. So um, if other people have too, what tips could you give for sort of handling brain fog? I would say get outside every single day. Focus on your own well-being as a whole. Um, and if you run a business, I don't know if that's particularly relevant to the answer, but basically whatever your responsibilities in life, make sure that your perspective is a kind, compassionate and, and, um, understanding one for you, because if you're suffering with, um, after effects of COVID or brain fog or whatever it is, you're not going to do yourself any favors by putting everybody else first, put yourself first, fulfill your needs practice the three p's do more of what lights you up focus on your own joy and happiness levels and 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 feed yourself well you know live well um consume positive things be aware of what's around you as well like whether that's people or that social media what accounts you follow um right down to the everything everything that you consume just just take stock like how positive is it and if it's not as positive as it could be then do something about that. For example, social media, curate your social media feed so it is only positive and inspiring. Because if it's anything but, then you're just feeding yourself negativity and that's not good. So basically make your environment as positive as it can be, put yourself first and believe that it's gonna be better. Because if you're in a place at the moment where you're struggling with brain fog, and but you're telling yourself, oh, am I gonna to have to live with this for the rest of my life? And expecting that, then, your mind is incredibly powerful. It can make that a lifelong thing. Whereas if you believe that this is short term and and I can overcome this through living well and believing that I'm going to get better, then watch what happens. Okay. Always believe the best is the best is yet to come. The better it gets, the better it gets. It's something I include in every single hypnosis with all of my clients because what a powerful belief to have. The better it gets, the better it gets. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so just to finish, um, do you want to tell us a bit about what you do in terms of the solution-focused hypnotherapy? Yeah, so as I said before, a lot of it is about teaching about the brain, and I've shared a lot of that today. But actually, the hypnotherapy, I would love to share about about what it is and, and what it's like to have hypnotherapy, because obviously a lot of people have heard of like stage hypnotherapy, and it's completely different. So when I uh, give hypnotherapy, basically the, the brain is the most receptive that it could be to positive suggestions 
because when you're trying to change your beliefs but you're not in a hypnotic state your your conscious mind is just going to bat everything off as irrelevant like that's why the affirmations won't necessarily work um so the subconscious mind is the part of the brain that's really receptive to positive suggestions when it's in a hypnotic state and a hypnotic state isn't something like um very different we go into a hypnotic state multiple times a day you ever driven somewhere and and not realize like suddenly you're there and you can't remember the journey you've been in a trance and you've just been in a hypnotic state the whole way when you're basically when you're doing anything on autopilot you're in the same state your subconscious mind is active um and what it feels like it's very relaxing um and yeah i, I give every all of my clients a, a bespoke audio to listen to at night when they go to sleep as well because when you go to sleep you're you're consciously asleep but the subconscious mind is still active so it's receptive to those positive changes and it changes very very quickly um because yeah like i said earlier it's a declutter get rid of the negative limiting beliefs and the negative feelings and it's a different it changes how you feel completely so yeah does that well, make sense you, yeah I mean, it makes complete sense because like you said earlier it's not about clucking like a chicken is it? no, no. <laughs> absolutely not and um, well that's been really interesting thank you so much for coming on yeah thanks so much for having me i've really enjoyed our chat this has been notes on vulnerability and i've been alex your host if you especially enjoyed this topic and would like to go deeper into how to take action on it don't forget that you can hit the subscribe button to access all the additional tips ideas and support i'm a resilience coach and you can find me on instagram at alex shore coaching s-h-o-r-e or online at www.shaw-coaching.com. Notes on Vulnerability also has its own Instagram, at Notes on Vulnerability. In this episode, we're looking at the brain, specifically the primitive brain and what happens when we're in survival mode. We'll be looking at how moving through areas of vulnerability, such as learning to trust and being open, can be transformative. And we'll also talk you through some of the tools that you can use to get out of fight, flight or freeze mode and start being a lot more present in your life. My guest for this episode is Jenna Holloway. Jenna is an award-winning solutions-focused hypnotherapist and entrepreneur. She specialises in helping people who are in survival mode. And given that she was a teacher for 12 years, it's safe to say that she has plenty of real-world experience of that. Her work is all about giving people the tools to create emotional freedom through her Change Your Life programme, as well as one-on-one hypnotherapy. If you struggle with overthinking, procrastination or worst-case scenario thinking, and you're looking for practical ways to find more emotional freedom, then this episode is for you.